This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by From Pitch to Published, our illustrated bookmaking masterclass, which is on January 26th from 10 to 6 p.m., where we talk about how to make books and how to make a living making books and all the little things in between. For more information, email chasingartwork at gmail.com. Attention, citizens, it's time for Super Pulp Science. Welcome to Super Pulp Science. It's January. We're back after a um, break, which I actually took this time. It's weird, right? Yeah, yeah very strange. Um, so, dear listener, what usually happens in a break uh, for me is I take my work with me and when the f- I do all the family stuff over the holidays and then when everyone goes to sleep, I still work anyway. <laughs> uh, so I consider it a break during the day, but I still get my stuff done. But this time I told myself because January is going to be so full of, you know, eight to 15 hour days anyway, um, I can just take those five, eight days and not work on anything. It was very strange. Okay. So you re- literally did nothing related to comic books for... Eight days. Nothing related to any deadlines. I did, a f- like, I drew and I, you know, did some story breaking on a few, like, just wild ideas. But I basically let women fancy and, like, 20 minutes of, like, the kids are building Lego. I'll pull up my sketchbook and draw them or talk. Oh. Like, I just, you know, did creative expression the way I did when I was, like, 15. You cool. know, like, just whatever came into your head you wrote down. That sounds like fun. Yeah, it was weird. When it's funny about that too is uh, I'm working on a film project um, with uh, am I allowed to say I guess I can say who it's with with Deco Dawson right now he's a local uh, Winnipeg filmmaker and he got in touch with me after the break also and he told me that he also did nothing for those five six days which he felt very weird about and I like confessed to him that I also did that and he said oh I see what's happening we're old now. <laughs> I think it has something to do with we uh, we surround ourselves with like workaholics, and yeah, it's it's a little harder to take a break because the the people in our field don't work nine to five on the weekends and at night they are usually going just as hard. Yeah, hustling. So that's that's one of the things I think. Every time I try to take a break, it's always kind of this this voice in the back of my head that, you know, these other guys they're they're getting ahead, they're getting work done right now while you're chillaxing. <laughs> it's like the rat. You're part of the rat race. Is that your? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> do you think that what's happening there? Do you think like social media is, has a negative impact on us? Definitely. I, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, I do. And is I teach it, a class in social media, and I I absolutely believe it does have a negative impact. Because yeah. if you look at any individual, you're actually you're producing more than you should be. But because you're seeing it all at once, it looks like everybody is nonstop producing yeah, like the tons of stuff and you feel like you are doing not nearly enough. Yeah, because you see their highlight for the day. Well, but everybody, it, it compounds, yeah. 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 Um, another thing that you should mention, you know, you don't, guys don't work a nine to five job. No. And comparing yourself- But we are here nine to five. Well, yeah, but you don't, it's not like you turn your brain off of work when you leave the, like the studio, right? No. You're still yeah. thinking about stuff. 
But there are many, many people out there who do have that type of job where they go in, work their shift, and then leave, and then that's that's all their own time. They do whatever yeah. they want. They take like what you did for eight days. They do that every single evening right. because that's you know that's just a different type of headspace to be in as well. That's, so as yeah. for some people, it's difficult to understand this perspective see, of having the, to think about your work all the time. See, before I did art and writing full time, that's what I that's, I would do my job. As I would a teacher, come home, yeah. and then mm -hmm. I would write and illustrate stuff. Like okay. I would start my other job or like my other, and I didn't think of it as a job. I mean, it, I had a writing schedule and I stuck to a, you know, a production kind of timeline. Like I told myself in a month, I should be able to produce, produce this much stuff, even while I have a regular job. And if I'm not doing it, then some days I have to do extra. I have to stay up late. And I, I mean, I've said before that I kind of stick to the rule that if um, I, the only rule that I follow is that I don't work if I'm tired. Right? You're so not going to do good work anyway. You're not going to do very yeah. good work. So if I'm working and I feel that fire and I'm all like revved up, then you don't feel tired anyway and you might work till 3 or 4 in the morning. It's but if it's, if it's midnight and you're bombed, don't like force it, I find, because I end up having to redo everything I did. Oh, sometimes you have to, though, and it's the worst. Yeah. Yeah, but when so think about that in terms of, I'm just trying to compare this to regular people, regular normies, as I call them. <laughs> the muggles. So, so no. the muggles, exactly. So, no, no, so, they're just civilians. Exactly. They're just, they're the ones we're fighting to save. But it's, it's uh, think about in terms of, you know, if you don't get a good night's sleep and you have to go into your job nine to five, yeah. how does that make you feel? You don't have a choice. Right. You can't just call in tired, right? That's right. something that well, so you guys have a bit of a luxury in that sense and that you can make your own work time. But I didn't for, you know, for 10 years, I would stay up late working on comics and books and then have to be at school by 8 a.m. So, you know, I'd go to bed at two and then I'd get up at six thirty and I would go to work. Wow. Right? Really? Yeah. I did that For as well, but like I, a decade. I couldn't I don't think I, I fared nearly as well on that I amount find, of sleep. I have uh, we've talked about this on the podcast too. <laughs> I have the genetic predisposition to excellent nap powers. Right. So I can take a twenty minute nap and go like have a dream and wake up and get you back feel at great. it. Yeah, I feel oh, okay. amazing. I got into yeah. the very unhealthy schedule of uh, so going to work from nine to five, coming home and sleeping until like nine o'clock at night, waking up and then working till two thirty three. Oh yeah. And then waking up for eight thirty, doing probably a half ass job at work and then going to bed again. Yeah. Because yeah, the real work to me was from the nine till three AM. Well when we first got into the <laughs> studio, when we were first like coming up with this idea that I w we would be share the same space, one of the things you brought up was like, I think you'll help normalize my schedule, knowing that you're gonna show up early yeah. and work a regular work day so that you can be home for your family will help, you told me, it'll help me get on to that same and Did that schedule. happen? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. I yeah. feel like I have a much more normal schedule than I yeah. used to. Like a human schedule. Yeah. <laughs> At least but uh, then when he goes away, then you're back on the weird hours. Well, it. it's, I have not come, I used to like pretty much be reversing my sleep schedule. Like I'd be waking up at two in the afternoon and going till the wee hours of the morning kind of thing. And I haven't, haven't been in that kind of schedule in a very long time. And I think that's probably for the best. Mm -hmm. yeah. It'll happen again once due dates start approaching probably yeah. but and I stay I still stay up I still do double shifts sometimes doing this job you know like if there's a deadline and whatever you do the day and then you do the home stuff and then everyone goes to bed and you do the night stuff mm -hmm. but my kids get up early and we have to go to school right mm -hmm. so I have to get up and make lunches and do breakfast and do all that kind of stuff and the way we've switched it in our house is I do that early shift with the kids because my the end of my day is often the part of it that is uh 
still a moving part. So sometimes there's a late meeting, sometimes something jumps in. So it's not as uh, reasonable in uh, the partnership that my wife and I have that I would be there to pick up the kids at the end of the day. It's less reliable. Yeah. But I can definitely, I'm better in the morning. I'm more of a morning person. I can get up early. And it doesn't matter if I'm tired. I can get the kids going. Yeah, yeah. Right? So part of that is just finding the finding the balance in, in your own day. They're brainwashed, lobotomized, programmed. They used to be my friends. We got a new set of headphones to try out our, uh, try out developing our podcast. We've been, um, when we did the episode one of the podcast, we talked about how, or you gave us advice that, you know, we don't have to have all the gear right away. We can just do it a little at a time and figure it out. And so, dear listener, we have a new splitter and a way for me to hear my own voice. And I'm so much more acutely aware of the other noises. Like when I put my coffee cup down, I can hear it now. And I know yes. that I've probably been messing that up. Is, is, that a, is that a super pulp science co- it coffee? It is, yeah. <gasps> when do, where are those available? Well, these are. <laughs> where do I get one of those? So the, when I was working originally on the super pulp science characters, uh, we were going to this creative retreat. And so we made cups for the creative. So this go make things on the cup here is. Oh, you should sell those. Yeah. Oh, I so want one of those. Huh. Um, we'll get you one. Um, what was I interrupted you? I don't know. You just saw my coffee yeah, cup, and yeah, now yeah. we're talking about oh, it developed just going naturally, like moving normally into expanding the gear and the yes. stuff that you need, yes. right? So and, and so I, I, I liken it to a hobby uh, for, for me because this is my gear, and I buy this a uh, little bit at a time. The the uh, splitter thing came out of um, first of all, I needed a new adapter. This this mixer has big what they call the big uh, what do you call that? I should know. Uh, plugs the big like old school jack. yeah like, old school like jacks, old yeah. school jacks. Uh, so i have to adapt my new school jack to that um and then the splitter kind of came out of oh well i wouldn't mind having who is it that came on the podcast and said they wanted to be able to hear themselves there was a f- mm. we've had a, um, people mention that a few times someone's yeah. come on and said oh we should have headphones i'm like yes yeah. you're right we should so that's why i got that and again it's only a couple bucks so it was not a, a huge investment but it does help so much right. in uh, monitoring your voice and just being aware of how you sound yeah. and just a reassurance that everything's working properly yeah so. and for the dear listener that may want to start their own podcast or what have you one of the things that it's good for having the headphones in uh is that when i go like this and I'm talking normally. Which you do, you do quite often. Which I do quite a lot. <laughs> now I can hear it, and I know, and I can self-correct a little bit without having to be prompted or Dan wave at me. <laughs> there's, uh, it's always that, there's always that, um, not the fear, the every so often you come into some kind of new um, situation or new realm, and like if you were to come into this podcast tomorrow not knowing anything and seeing all this fancy equipment, yeah, you we got think, a fair amount of gear now. Yeah, yeah you think like, yeah. that it all came all at the same time, and it was like day from day one, we oh, yeah. had this kind of setup. And yeah. it's hard for you to imagine that it was a slowly growing. Thing. We didn't even have socks on the mics when we started. Like this, these mics have a That's little right. foam, yeah. little foam piece yeah, right. on the microphone. It's called a sock. Little terminology. And uh, that's to, to prevent popped peas. Although you're still getting it because I'm I'm exaggerating. He's but yeah. when you when you speak casually to a microphone, it does uh, diffuse the air that comes out of your mouth when you say peas, and um, and also to avoid the heavy breathing which we sometimes used to get. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> We're gonna start an ASMR podcast. Oh, stop! Yeah. Stop with that. Stop. <laughs> so you just got the you got the uh, response there. You got the ASMR. Yeah. Um, but I think that's true. Like so many things, you at first glance it seems so overwhelming to get to that point and you don't realize how slow of a build it is. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the same thing for what you guys do, right? Yeah. You didn't have your fancy schmancy thingy. I started with, yeah, a, like a CRT monitor and like a 4x6 like 
knockoff Wacom before I actually got oh, a Wacom. Those bamboos? What were they no, called? bamboos didn't exist. This was no. really old school. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, it's a, it's um, you kind of so for people who are wondering where to start and they don't know how to get from like point A to point B, they when they see like stuff that we're doing or when we see other people, the thing to remind yourself is is that you're actually looking in at somebody's life already in progress. Yeah. Right. You're yeah. not seeing it at the start. So anything that we're doing that's working, it's only working because you failed at it a hundred other oh, ways. Yes. Oh yes. Right. Like so, I've, I've been doing the podcasting thing for seven years now. So I failed a lot. <laughs> I well, failed, right? Absolutely. Right. But uh, you also have experience in radio and you're able to transfer some of that yeah, into here. Yeah. But it's not a one-to-one, -one, right? So you might say to yourself, Oh, I can draw and I can write. I can for sure do comics, for example. And then you do your first comic. Right, like when I, when I did my first comics, and then they were like pretty awful, right? And but it did was you really not, think that about yourself at the time? You didn't think that at the uh, time. I was just like almost an hour after the first comic came off the printer, I was pretty disappointed with it. Like I had, <laughs> oh, no. I was so full of promise, and then I really looked at it like as a product with like a critical eye, and I was like, oh my gosh, I thought I was way, <laughs> oh, I thought I could do so much better, um, and that's just part of it, right? But rather than be suddenly disillusioned and give up you say okay well this is where i was right where am i going now now with every successive kid we are getting closer and closer to perfection so someone was asking me recently uh about all the stuff that we have going on and they're like oh it's not you have such a, like an interesting job you're always doing something different you know because i was telling about the play i was telling about the movie i was telling about the animation telling about the... and what it really boils down to and like the way I think of my job is every day I'm going to make some words and some pictures and figure out how they fit together. And as long as I consider that just the little box I'm in, it becomes a lot easier not to be overwhelmed with all the other parts that you're supposed to be an expert in. Right? Because you, you just can't be an expert in all of those things. And so that's what you do for all these different products. Like you're talking about all these different types of media, like play, you just, is it like a storyboard kind of thing? Were you planning it out? Oh no, you told us about that before. You're, you're designing a book or something to go. So, okay, well with the play with Red Earth, uh, Andrea Sargeson and I co-created this play and she had this idea that we would do a, uh, somehow bring a graphic novel to the stage. Right. And we didn't know what that was. So we sat down and we experimented with lots of different things like, uh, rear projection and front projection and silhouettes and um, you know with actors and like how how could you interact with 2d illustrations or perhaps animations or what things in a way that um, allowed the audience to be immersed in it so rather than be distracted by all of the different parts where they say oh, okay well there's some pictures over there and some actors over here where there's a moment where you ignore the media and you just fall into the story and so we spent, um, you know, a month uh, experimenting. We had actors and we had projectionists and we had like a pretty big crew and we had room at uh, Prairie Theatre Exchange. And we, um, you know, basically did a proof of concept of what we might try. And our only goal was to experiment, to try and put together an experimental piece of theatre and to look for the moments in which the audience would forget that it was experimental theatre, right? And they would instead just say, oh, that's a cool part of that story. And in that experiment, I would say of uh, like an hour long presentation, like we did a, uh, we brought in an audience and then we showed them all the stuff we had workshopped. Um, I would say there was maybe five moments, maybe about two minutes long each where that actually occurred. Oh, okay. Right? 
So from the standpoint of what that hour we produced that first time, it was a failure in that it wasn't an hour of entertainment. But for us, because our purpose was to experiment with, could we find places where moving pictures, still images, actors, narrators, and music could coalesce in an experience that was different than what you would get in comics or in film, but would be a combination of those things. We found some grains of sand, like we kind of sifted for the gold, right? And then when we, once we had those little nuggets, we said, okay, we know how we made those. We went away and we tried to build a whole new theater experience around the parts that work. Yeah. Right? That's interesting. Um, you know, nothing exists in a vacuum, right? Nobody comes up with an idea and just goes forward with it without getting any type of input. Yeah, right. So when you think about things like plays, like we kind of know how that process looks for more popular media like TV and movies and that kind of stuff. But for plays, you never think about how did they get there? How did they determine that that was going to work? Right. So having that, uh, it's interesting. I've never heard of that happening before. Well, and, and sure you know, it happens. Does it happen a lot? Yeah, no? workshopping is very yeah. common okay. in the theater world. Um, but it's not... Like, the thing about Andrea is she's really dedicated to the idea of workshopping until there's something there. Yeah. And it's something that I have started to take for granted. I know that that's not true of all directors and all people doing theater. It's definitely true of her, and it's the part that her and I really um, came to see eye on is that, like, oh, well, that didn't work. Okay. What's next? Yeah, let's and, do and don't get too hung up on that fact yeah. that it doesn't work. Just say, okay, good. Yeah. Now we know that. Now let's move on yeah. to the next thing, which is exactly what you guys do when it comes to creating um, stories and books and everything. You guys do the same thing, yeah. right? And so how works in 2000. How her and I started working together was, this goes back a number of years now, but I got this weird email that said, um, you know, your name came up as someone who um, can go and do live drawing. Like you can go and be given a set amount of time and you can draw an, an object or whatever. And I was like, yeah, okay, sure. I just responded, like, yeah, like I can, I can accomplish that. What, who are you and what's going on? <laughs> Would who you gave you my name? Yeah, right, exactly, question. yeah. And, and it was while someone in the creative community um, put your name forward, would you be willing to, on a certain day, be provided with a location that we won't tell you ahead of time? <laughs> This and sounds a, weird. Yeah, and a subject we won't tell you ahead of time, and to arrive at that location and make art for only that set period of time, and then meet up afterwards and discuss the experience with a group of people. And I was like... Mm. It sounds like a good way to lose a kidney. <laughs> <laughs> So motel bathroom, yeah. bathroom place. So, uh, Andrea is part of a, a group called One Trunk Theater, and they were doing, you know, they do a lot of experimental theater stuff. And so, the idea of this project, this is how I first came to meet her, um, is that they had um, poets, uh, artists, uh, you know, visual artists in lots of mediums like photographers and drawing and, and film and whatever, go to all of these different locations as a surprise, like to arrive without knowing where it would be so you couldn't think about it or prep it, uh, be given something that you're supposed to kind of capture, and then bringing those captured pieces back to a group of theater folks, like actors, who then tried to distill the images, the words, the music, the video into a theater piece, basically like a, um, like a transmission of like a place into a, one medium into another medium and then mix all that stuff together. And it was just like, like you would think to yourself, like why would anybody do that? But that's why you would do it. It was so amazing to just have this, you know, crazy, uh, no strings attached, no holds barred, creative expression group of people. And she, but it was like, you know, I'm, 
I've, you've heard on the podcast before, I'm a big William Gibson fan. So like when we all met, it felt like that moment in every Gibson novel where all the like strange specialists all end up in the same room and they yeah. all figure out why they're there. <laughs> uh, this was us. We were all there and it was we were all sharing our stuff. And it we realized now that the goal was we were out there collecting the nuggets. And could you translate one type of artistic medium into another was kind of to figure out where that connection was. Hmm. So that's how it started. And then we actually made a theater piece that was related to that where I did live drawing projected across the actors um, while they enacted elements from the poetry that was written and a bunch of other things. And we just did this little like presentation. And I just, I was so impressed with Andrea's ability to take all these disparate personalities, um, uh, working flows and just like keep us all on a schedule, get the work all produced on time, keep us all organized and make a thing that people could come and experience. And I was just, so I told her after the fact, you know, it wasn't a big, it wasn't a huge production. That first little thing we did, I just told her like, you know, don't lose my number, whatever you're doing, that's crazy <laughs> like this. Let's do more stuff like this. Huh. I just really appreciate it. And I told her why I said, you know, like it's very rare that you can get all this, these random folks together organized have them produce work in a timely fashion and then it all come together um so you have a superpower please keep me on your list and so we've done a number of things um as a result of that and uh you know one day she invited me into this writer's room she'd like called me up and said you know i can pay you x you can come and be in a writer's room you're going to write a bunch of stuff and then that same day a bunch of actors are going to perform those scenes and there'll be a couple other writers in the room and we're just going to workshop and the working relationship that came from that as you know the long story short is it developed into this project where we said you know let's work on something on a larger scale hmm. yeah. Crazy. so when, when does this play open so it's may 5th to the 18th party theater exchange and um a surprise to me but to no one in theater who's listening to this um it's very similar to the way you promote a book, right? The book's not finished when it's on the schedule, right? You're still working on it and you're, mm -hmm. you have a deadline. And so we're still working on all the moving parts that lead us up to that, that uh, stage date. Um, just fancy terms for that, but I'm not like uh, a full-blooded theater person, so I don't know all those fancy terms. <laughs> but what was cool, and I was telling Justin the other day, we had, you know, what, we had 10 or 15 people here for that meeting, for that Red Earth meeting. And I was telling him I felt like a bit of a, like a bit of a fraud. Like I didn't really feel capable of pulling off a giant theater production as we got closer to the date. And then we all sat in the room and I realized, oh yeah, I'm just part of a team. Oh yeah, I can do my you, part. Do your part. <laughs> I just have to do. all do their part. And, and this yeah. comes back around to what you're saying. So it's just the words and pictures. Once I realized, oh my only responsibility is words. I like words. I like breaking story. I like writing scripts. I I can do that part. That's easy. Uh, one, I like drawing pictures. Oh, well, okay, well, that part's easy. Someone else is going to put it all together, and you just have to trust in the team when you're on a team. So that's one of those sorts of things where it's you have to conceptualize, but then pull back and not get too hung up on, like, you know, how it's all going to fit together. Just trust it. I'm a friend of Gavin's. See you around. Gavin's a good boy now. Okay, so you're working on your Marvel commissions, right? Mm -hmm. Or not commissions, I guess, uh, concept, uh, concept stuff. You don't know exactly how it's all going to fit together, but you trust that you can do it. Yeah. Right? 
and you got to a point I at the end. I trust that they know what they're doing when they hired me for me. Mm -hmm. So me just doing my thing, I'm assuming that's going to work. I'm trusting them. Yeah. Well, they, it worked the they, first time, right? They trust me. Did yeah. it work the first time? It worked the first time. There you yeah, go. So. so you have experience in this field. You know that you've been a part of this process. Mm -hmm. So when, uh, when you did the thing for Ant-Man and the Wasp, you... You know it worked yeah. and so now you know how well it works. and see that comes around to even hear us at the table again with the podcast like we don't really know about podcasting but when you said like hey we'll i'll come in and help do it we well, just trusted i, did, I just bring the do. equipment that's you know <laughs> you know it's and I edit, the, edit the edit the stuff and everything but you guys bring the conversation i was we were just talking about this in my class today the mo most important part of any podcast is conversation that's what it is right it's not um, I mean, guests are good, good, interesting stories, but it's about the conversation. If you have like a one-sided interview where the person's just asking a question, then asking, answering, asking, answering, right. that's not as interesting to listen Actually, to. Actually, I think the best part about the last podcast with um, Jonathan Ball and Gregory Kamichek yeah. was all the faculty clips that you put in there. I really, really <laughs> like that. See, and so that's where I the just, producer I was waiting comes for in. you guys to stop talking so there'd be another faculty clip. So that's the something we're doing. <laughs> and for those who may... For long-time listeners who might not know what we're talking about, uh, we started off, again, this is again about the evolution of the podcast. So we started off by, I wanted these transitions to kind of break, you know, it kind of like refocuses the audience into listening. Uh, it also breaks up different topics and there's just these little transitions between segments. And so I started by just playing the, the voiceover of the, of the um, super pulp science, like the thing right. at the beginning. Yeah. It's a super pulp and I just kind of break that up and yeah. make little things about it. Um, and then we got the idea to put movie clips in, so we started doing that. John Carpenter. Yeah, there was a last season. There was a there was a standing order to include a clip from a John Carpenter film in every episode. So I did that once we once we decided that I did that going yeah. forward. Um, this season now, just because it's become so, I just want I want the clips to have to do with the with the subject matter, and it's very time consuming to find clips that are relevant yeah well and so here's the thing for the listener to be like looped in on so my idea for the podcast here the overall arch was to have it like totally seeped in that super pulp science era of 1950s stuff so we originally were pulling clips out of public domain movies and then dan explained that you know if you're just doing little sound clips it does you can pull stuff doesn't from matter regular media yeah, no, no. yeah doesn't it's matter. fair use and so you can use it on fair use and so this was part of that evolution where it's like the idea that we had versus the practicality moving forward versus the time that we can put into it versus the ease in which editing it will come if you're interested in what you're tying together yeah. right you just have to that's part of that collaborative process is letting go of all the parts that you thought uh, were sacrosanct, you know, like you just oh. have to I, I then then we came back this season I tried to do that more most of the episodes of this season have had clips from 1950s yeah. sci-fi yeah. films uh, Then I went into TV and I had some Twilight Zone stuff yeah. in there the outer limits and that kind of stuff um, but then kind of when we I think it was the uh, a couple of just a couple episodes ago when you talked about going to see that what was the film again? Oh, Suspiria. Suspiria, yeah. yes. Yeah. So you're saying, well, let's let's just pick one film yeah. and then include clips from the entire film. Not the entire film, but like all yeah. the clips, all the transition clips will be from that one film. And then it becomes kind of a recommendation, yeah. right? Where you say, oh, today's clips are from Suspiria. So then I, I link to Suspiria and so yeah. people can see what that's all about because yeah. we were talking about it on the podcast. And that's a way to give back a little bit. So it'd be interesting to... So, but this yeah. is where it all comes together. So now what I'm trying to do is have, and I didn't really do it for one of the episodes, but I... I 
I'll never apologize for using Hilarious House of Frankenstein. <laughs> never, clips, yes, you it's should so always, good. Yeah. Uh, but uh, like for one, we talked about Spider-Man a lot, so I used clips from the Spider-Man TV series, right. the '60s series. Uh, and for the faculty, because it was like you at a university talking to students, then well, we'll just use the faculty. Yeah. Because it's really the only sci-fi movie ever made about teachers. It, yeah. it is. Like, there's nothing else. I looked. There's nothing uh, else. There's that one with. Um... Arguably, Starship Troopers has a lot of teachers in that's it. True. Actually, that's true. The one where the kids are being brainwashed to be oh, perfect students. Village of the Damned? No. no. Um, uh, see, we just came up with three other good ones. Let's travel that, back in time. Where like they get uh, branded in the eyeball, like in that underground lair. It's, I think you're talking about growing up in a small town. <laughs> I think you're talking about Scooby-Doo. No. It's got uh, <laughs> Cyclops from the early X-Men movies. It was like one of his first ones. He's a teenager. Him and his sister move to a new town, and everybody is like... Uh, like just so vanilla and straight laced and every time they get too emotional they have like a psychotic break and it's part of their conditioning not working what movie is this? I'm looking it up I gotta, I gotta find out this is too interesting to and me and they have the uh, hey teacher leave those kids alone that song right. plays at some point it's not James, Pleasantville James Marsden is the yeah. um, is the uh, actor who plays Cyclops, Cyclops. Yeah. so let's, let's do a little back um, the faculty. The... It was a great movie. I'm remembering it as a great movie. I don't know if it was. Okay, I'm going all the way back here. You also oh, remember he... Lake Placid as a good movie. So. Yeah, Lake <laughs> Placid is a delight. Interesting early career for James Marsden. He was in Saved by the Bell. He was in The Nanny. Blossom. So lots of TV. I don't think it was that quite. It was like 90, <laughs> early 90s. No, no. That's when he was on those TV shows. Oh, early wow. 90s. Okay. Edge of Innocence? No, this is okay. So this is a, it was a theatrical release. It was. I have a strong suspicion we're going to cut all of this. Out disturbing of behavior. <laughs> disturbing. Oh, disturbing behavior. Yes, I remember the title. I don't I remember the cover. This is from my days as um. Oh yeah. I as a blockbuster film. video worker, I was with blockbuster video, so I remember. I've never seen it. I remember the cover it on is the shelf. Great. And then the the janitor of the school, um, he's he's a tinkerer so he's inventing different ways to get rid of rats and he starts playing around with frequency and a noise that bugs the rats but it also triggers the, the brainwashed student. right. students oh there we go so that's he, pretty like, good that's a pretty good uh, um, storytelling device and he uh, to stay off the radar of the cult he acts like a simpleton but really he's like this genius janitor who knows what's going on and oh. is trying to like bring it all so, down so does that mean I have to use clips from this movie now for this episode uh, yeah I'm, I'm <laughs> I'm remembering it quite fondly. I wonder if we were to rewatch it now, if uh, that would all come crashing. So down. I noticed. I feel like I, there's a crash <laughs> when I go when I go into these and I looked, for example, up for clips from the faculty. It doesn't hold up. I remember liking that movie, but it does not hold up as much as I would hope it would. Is there CG or is that monster? No, all no, no. It's CG. It's CG. Yeah, yeah oh, is it's it? not oh, practical. No. No. Oh no. Some some parts of it are practical, but this, the end big yeah. monster at the end is a CG yeah. thing. So yeah, it did not look good. Generally a bad idea. Right from the base. Rats! Rats everywhere. I had a meeting yesterday uh, with uh, Mike Sanders, a filmmaker that we've worked with before. He's actually been on the podcast. He is the one who said we needed headphones. He probably, yeah. That sounds like something he would do. He's obsessed with how sound design works in things. So, yeah, I could see that. Um, But what we were talking about was I found this uh, little video clip of an old 50s style. It might have been even earlier, probably Maybe 30s, 40s. Side, side note, Disturbing Behavior is also where I fell in love with Katie Holmes. Uh-huh. That was like one of her earlier films. 
Oh, yeah. Maybe. I wonder if that's I where Tom Cruise to, also fell maybe. in love with her. I don't think so. Uh-huh. I think we need to rewatch Disturbing Behavior. Anyway, sorry. Sorry. I don't think that's a good idea. Michael Sanders. Yeah. Yeah. You're exhibiting some disturbing <laughs> behavior right now about this. Um, I've lost my train of thought. Oh, 50s, third. Okay. Silent movie technique of. See, we weren't aware of this. Um, or I was not aware of this. In those old movies where you would see like this huge elaborate set of like an old uh, like temple or you know like a sunken ship or just any of these kinds of things, and the little person would come walking in, and you know when you look back at those old movies, you wonder like is that a, is that a set painting or is that part of the set or how did they do that or it seems practical or the lighting is switching so it can't be a painting. Um, it's done with a mirror and a model, and so a huge reflective surface is um, presented to the camera. The model is placed behind the camera, so the model is being reflected into the mirror. And then part of the reflective backing on the back of the mirror is scratched out, and you shoot through that to the actor at whatever distance you need them to appear Ooh. to be in scale with the object that's reflected on the surface of the mirror. Wow. So yeah, the scratching of the mirror, that's like, it's such a doy yeah like it makes so much sense but i mean it's what and uh, like people anyone doing visual effects right now who's listening to this is like well yeah well, we just do that as a composite these days but if you consider right um like independent filmmaking and the kind of like weird experimental films that you see this is a trick that was a staple of filmmaking for you know 40 50 years that suddenly just vanished like people don't use that technique at all so we were trying to figure out contrive a reason in which to experiment with this technique in a way and and what we decided was if it can only look as good as those old 50s movies we'll do a little short film in the style of those old 50s movies um and then we'll be well on our way to just having a great time and let's let's post a clip let's uh, share a clip with the audience so that they know sure yeah what uh what 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 the hell charlie chaplin was a fan of that as well a lot of his like um, some of his stunt work, where it looked like he was about to fall over, like a yeah. building or fall. It's a lot of yeah, it's that mirror trick. Yeah, as well. forced perspective and yeah. things like that. It's really uh, quite interesting. But it, this comes all around to the idea of just words and pictures. So for me, it was you know here's a way to use pictures, uh, static 2D images, which is on my mind because of what we're doing with the play. And then I'm looking for techniques that could be used. Definitely won't work as a theater piece, but it would work in camera. And you know we work with. Uh, TV and film folks once in a while. And so, you know, sitting down with them and saying, like, here is an idea. And our conversation wasn't, hey, I have a brilliant idea and a great story and all this stuff. It actually came down to that little grain again, that little bit. Here's a thing that works and worked for years. How can we do that now and build something around it that would work? And, uh, you know, Mike is a very um, uh, practical person when it comes to the plan. He's is a very passionate, creative person. But when we're making a plan, he's like, "Okay, well, we don't want to spend days and days doing this. Can we figure out a way to make the model and then shoot it for one day? And where could we shoot it? And what would we use it for if we had it? Right? And so just tying it all together back. And then so this comes around to a different this the Super Bowl Science project that we're working on, which is the World War Weird graphic novel and role playing game. We need a Kickstarter video for it eventually. And so I said, "Okay, what if?" We did an old school style H.P. Lovecraft inspired guy in the in the frozen north coming out of an old temple, right, marching towards camera. It would allow us to experiment with the clip to try the technology, and if it looks really bad, at worst case, it's a funny gag for a Kickstarter video 
right? Yeah, and, and if it's in that <laughs> brand of the the fifties kind of pulp science, that's right. pulp fiction stuff you're putting together. Yeah. And so I guess the reason I bring all this up is for the uh, the listener's sake is that if you're not sure how it can all work, you don't. You just have to kind of let the idea out there, and then look at the like spread out on a board somewhere all the stuff that you're already doing, and figure out how it could fit together. Right? Experiments are great, but they are the same way that you do world building. World building can eat up all of your time as a writer, and then you don't get anything done. Mm-hmm. Experimenting can eat up all of your time making these great experiments, but then you have nothing to show anybody for any reason. <laughs> right? You just did a bunch of experimenting. So trying to thread through your efforts into something that pulls those experiments into stuff you can show people and then widen the conversation about what you can learn and how you can learn it. You know, it's like how we ended up doing animation with Cassie and Tom. Yeah. Right? That's not something you thought about when you first created that. No. Uh, Something we dreamed about, but never really, it didn't make sense or we didn't know how we'd get there, but wouldn't it be cool? Yeah, the first day we launched it, people were like, hey, this looks like something from like an animated movie. And we laughed. We're like, yeah, someday maybe we'll work on animation. (laughs) Right? And here we are, you know, and it's not by any stretch of the imagination a done deal, but it's just a, a way in which if you want, to do something, you have to, you know, create yourself through what you do. If you want to try doing animation, you better try doing animation. We live, we die, no one knows why, okay? Justin, uh, you posted something on Instagram recently. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that animation. What was that all about? So, yeah, Justin uh, had a genius sure. idea. Okay, so. We probably should leave the names out of we it. We're going to leave talk names vaguely. out of it. There's a, an opportunity might be coming Greg and, and my way to um, submit some projects to a company and they might say yes, they might say no. And so we had to come up with a bunch of ideas of, of neat products um, for these guys to use. And one of the, the ones that I, I came up with was a flip book of a robot being built. And I think that just ties into like just me as an artist. I love robots in uh, different stages of disrepair and damage. being built yeah. and battle damage. And I just, I love, yeah, pristine robots, I don't like. I like a robot with like half his arm missing and his. Like, Another picture of Optimus Prime over <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, like just his, yeah. Uh, yeah, electronic guts hanging out. Um, <laughs> so this, just this idea of doing a, a flip book of a, a robot being built, it's like, oh my God, I love that idea. And then over the Christmas break, it was all I was thinking about was like how cool a flipbook would be. And then like, okay, well, what's something that's a little quicker than making a flipbook? And I haven't played around with um, Photoshop animation like at all ever. I know it exists and I know it's not, uh, it's, I know how to use Flash very, very well. And I used to use it all the time. So I figured I know how to use Flash. I'll be able to get a hold of this Photoshop animation pretty easily. Um, so I watched a YouTube tutorial on how a Photoshop timeline works, and it's dirt simple. I just added a new layer for every frame of animation, and then you play it. Like, it's, it's yeah. So I... Uh, and it works because it's a static image with elements being added or taken yeah. away, so... So I didn't do, like, a fluid animation. I did a time lapse. Um, so the first step was I wanted to do... Um, I, I've been drawing a lot of Gundams in the last year, and I've been getting a lot of requests for the Iron-Blooded Orphans series of Gundams, the, the Gundam suit in it is called the Barbatos Gundam. And the cool thing about um, this Gundam is in the show, they often show him with all his armor removed and just the bare frame as they're fixing him. And oh, that, so you had a I visual reference part. to it. Yeah, cool. So, and if you get the perfect grade of the model, 
you actually build the frame of the Gundam and then slowly add the armor like they they do both parts as a as a model mm. for the dear listener who is new to the podcast a Gundam uh, <laughs> Gundam in general is a 40 year long series of series that uh, basically revolves around the idea that um, war is fought with giant mechanized mobile suits and they're with a the little pilot the inside. the inspiration for Pacific Rim, kind of. It's kind Pacific of, Rim yeah. is, is Gundam means yeah. Godzilla, but that's but the same kind of thing. the Gundam uh, franchise, so that you, you don't like Google and think that the first one you find is indicative of the entire thing, each new series tackles some different way in which war affects the human condition. So sometimes it's about what happens if kids are in war. Sometimes it's when adults are in war. Sometimes it's what is the effect sometimes of the war Sometimes it's very lighthearted as well. Yeah. Like it's, it's a whole range. Yeah, it's really, uh, it's a, the more I dig into it, the more I find that there's more to it than I ever suspected. But so Justin lugs giant robots. Mm -hmm. And so what I was excited about is that the last couple of Gundam pieces I've done have just been standalone robots. But now I had to build this entire hangar with like a, a building robot bay. So, it, you know, I had to build these pillars and all these staircases and build my little worker guys that are just like these tiny little, you know. Tiny Almost like cheeky. pixel art. Yeah, yeah, because they're so tiny in comparison to the, the robot. And then I had to build the bare frame of the Gundam and then a finished pristine version of the Gundam. And then I had to kind of add and tear away parts for all the, the process in between of him being built up. And then I built, and then I started animating. So I had my hanger, I had all these little workers, and I had all these different steps of the Gundam. And I basically just started with the torso being lowered down into the hanger, and the little guys start jumping around. It's a time lapse, it's not an animation. So every scene, they're just kind of like, everything's jumping. Um, and then so I just added an arm, and then added a leg, and then added the other arm and leg, and then the head came down, and then the armor started building. Yes, that sounds like an enormous amount of work. It is. It is. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was it a lot of work. But so here's the thing where it comes back to like what experiments can be good for. You also have a pretty good habit of posting your work in progresses to online sites, and then it, it's actually amazing to watch. People just steal it from there and then post it themselves, either onto Imager, onto Reddit, or onto any of these other places. And this particular one, like, blew up, like, went completely viral. It like, how many viral thousands through Imager and Reddit and had, yeah, over 70,000 views on the first day. Wow. Was, right. That so, made it worth it yeah it makes it worth it in a way if you think about it right now there's no you know there's no monetary connection between the one and the other except that now seventy thousand people are like oh wow this guy can do some cool stuff let's look at what other things and he so exactly. going back to that initial we the flipbook idea that we might be pitching to this company i think now we have a way better chance of getting in the door then and i think we had a pretty good chance before but yeah. now that we have like we want to do this, but for you guys. Yeah. 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 Well, and okay, so that comes back around to this idea that Deco brought up to me earlier, uh, which was what we've been talking about a lot is we have these, we have this film project that we're trying to do and we're trying to do a book to go along with it. And rather than pitch it, we decided that given the creative people who are involved in it, we're going to produce portions of the thing ourselves without any expectation that it could be picked up, but just as a way of demonstrating 100% that the idea is possible and this is what it would look like. Rather than convince someone they should believe in you and then let you do it, we're starting a few things without permission so that we can present it to them and say, here it is, 
right? Mm -hmm. Or I guess permission. Everyone, you have permission to make whatever you want, but we won't get paid for it unless they like it, right? right? And if it's one of those things. It's like building this Gundam, right? You're, it's an experiment to see if you can do a thing as well as you're promising that you can do a thing. And Thank once you. you've proved it to yourself, you can then show it. You don't have to promise to anybody. You just show it to them. I've always had, uh, there's always an itch to animate. I've always kind of, I've really liked animation and I think I've, I haven't animated anything in a long time. So now that I've done this, I'm, I'm really excited to do more little animated versions of uh -oh. things. So it's a huge category on YouTube. Yeah. It's like, like that's something that I don't know if you had to have time to do that, but if you were, could put together short little stories or animations that would do well on YouTube. Right. And then so, and I think this is a nice way to kind of wrap up our conversation here is like, then you have to ask yourself to what reason or for what reason are you endeavoring in these labors? Yes. Right. So we decided, Hey, it, the, the podcast started as a bunch of conversations where we said, we wish other people knew that before they started, let's share some of those conversations with people. So before they start, they can do it too. And it evolved into different gear and different stuff and different times and different expectations and all of these different things. I just want to work with words and pictures. And it has evolved into theater and film and graphic novels and comics and uh, prose stories. But it's, you know, it's all the same stuff. You're just trying to figure out like what it's all for. And so experiment, you like when you experiment. Maybe don't worry about that so much. Just yeah. move forward. Just it's, keep, keep yeah. chasing. Uh, movement gives shape to form. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. Uh, we're happy to be back from the break, and we look forward to um, sharing our genre creation uh, experiments uh, with you for a brand new calendar year. You join the Fighter Man <laughs>